the Builder Summit at the Mount Pocono Bible Camp. And I got to tell you, it's been a joy to be here. Get away from the hustle and bustle of everything else that's going on in our lives sometimes and just recharge. The Builder's Summit for me was a total wake-up call. Absolutely incredible experience. The individuals here all had a hunger to let God's Word transform their lives. It is so uncommon for men to get to speak to other men, men to imbibe manlyhood from other men who are Christians. In this time, we have the teaching of the Word, that informs us and guides us, and then we have rich and wonderful fellowship. And, and it was so great to know that there was a like-minded group of guys that are just trying to get things right theologically so that they can get their lives in order. This isn't a pep rally. This is to strengthen, uplift, encourage, build one another up as men. This experience, both last year and this year, have honestly been essential to me as a man. I would highly recommend coming to the Builders Summit. Uh, I traveled uh, 500 miles to be here and, and, and I, loved, I loved every minute of it and I, I'll do it again next year. And it is absolutely edifying because we're here building each other up uh, in the name of Christ. We're learning from, from great men of God. The, the fellowship in between the sessions is phenomenal. It's very rare, it's very needed, it's very good for your soul. You know, the greatest thing about the Builder Summit is it's men sharpening other men. Everybody should come. It's profoundly beneficial, so I'd encourage you to come. Come on down, come be a part of us, participate in the fellowship, be encouraged in grace and the hearing of the Word. I cannot recommend it enough. I cannot recommend being with fellow men who all believe in Christ, exalting His name, and just growing. Please join us and uh, share this as much as you can. God bless. The Godcast with Josh Fritz, where the scripture is honored, the lost are warned, the saints are fortified, false teachers are exposed, and the Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Here's your host, Josh Fritz. Thank you for watching the Godcast with Josh Fritz. This is Josh Fritz, episode 106, Sunday School Series, Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. Now, I don't have a title at the moment of this recording, but you will read it uh, when it's put up there. But basically, continuing with the Bible study that uh, is going on in my local church, um, this was about two weeks ago, so I wrapped up. Uh, well, not wrapped up, but I started uh, chapter 2 and uh, finished the latter half of uh, what normally would uh, be taken by uh, some teachers 1 through 10. I did 1 through 5 and then 6 through 10. And speaking about the fact that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And, uh, of course, we boast in Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. Stay tuned for the end of this podcast after the lesson. I'm going to play a song that speaks uh, with that line in it. Uh, we only boast in Jesus Christ. Uh, that's a clue, a hint uh, to what song that is. And uh, the song that I'm going to play at the end of the podcast, somebody very special in my life introduced me to this song. And uh, this episode is dedicated to that person. Uh, the person will remain nameless. I don't want to bring any attention to them, as they would probably not want that themselves. Our boast is in Jesus Christ. So, without further ado, here is the lesson on Ephesians 2, 6 through 10. And uh, stay tuned here for the Godcast. Um, coming up with different things in the coming future. Hopefully, um, you know, I always... I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. I don't want to do that. I want to be accurate in what I do and hopefully trying to expand the show a little bit more. It's not a show. It's a, it's a program and uh, hopefully have some guests on. So with that, here's the lesson. Thank you for listening. Thank you for en enduring my voice. And I hope uh, this lesson encourages you as it has encouraged me. Till then, we'll see you next time. Here's the lesson. Well, good morning. Welcome to Adult Bible School Hour, Sunday School.
We are in Ephesians chapter 2. We, last week we began chapter 2. And what I want to do, to bring us up to speed, if you're watching out there in social media land, I want to read verses 1 through 10 to give us context. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 10 today. I know most people will take a chunk, 1 through 10, but I couldn't. Um, I'm one of a person that just likes to go through the scripture slowly, maybe a slower pace, but picking it up in verse 1. Now, we know about chapter 1. We finished chapter 1. Spoke about what we have in Christ, as far as our blessings that are in Christ. What Paul's prayer was for the Ephesians. Wanted us, wanted us, if you want to say us, but this context is speaking of the Ephesians, to know what is the hope to which they've been called, to the riches and glorious inheritance that are in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's looking at verses uh, 18 and 19 of chapter 1. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. So I'm just reading this quickly to get in our minds. Paul's praying for the Ephesians for growth. That's what I've been talking about. And he put all things, verse 22, under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is, body, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So, Paul's prayer. We know the blessings that we have in Christ. What does Paul do? He takes a couple steps back and tells us exactly, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where the Ephesians were, where you and I were. Verse 1, chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And now to our uh, section today, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning, for the blessing that we have to look at your word. and Allow your word, Father, to penetrate our heart and our mind, that we would recall what you've done for us in Christ Jesus and rejoice in our salvation. Give me the words and the wisdom to speak this properly and to know that you are due all the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're looking at verse 6, but I want to back up because four is that chap uh, verse 4 is that transition verse, what we talked about last week. So the setting is that God's rich in mercy and because of his great love with which he loved us. That's the motivating factor behind our salvation, is God's love for us. Love that's undeserved. We can think of mercy that's undeserved. Grace is undeserved. All aspects and attributes of God that are displayed toward us, God's benevolence, His kindness, no one deserves it. And the blessing that we can take from verse 4 and take from verse 5 is really the first word of chapter uh, verse 4. But God, those two words, if we take that away from the whole, uh, the, the, taking away the understanding from that is that without God, 
we wouldn't be saved. Without his love, without his mercy, we would be lost. We'd be doing whatever we wanted to do. So that's the reason why his great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We've been regenerated. We've been made alive. We're born again. We were dead in our trespasses. So this is the past, right? It's all in the past tense. And it's interesting how this is all in the past tense, but we know it as it's definite in the sense that this is what happened, this is what we were, and this is what happened. God has to be the one, is the first cause in our salvation. It can't be us. It can't be us. Yes, there's internal workings in our heart, what goes on in our minds and our hearts about God and the Scripture. Um, that is all going on as far as it being the gospel being presented to us, us believing. Um, but God is the one who moved first. The one example I can think of is in the garden. When Adam and Eve had sinned, what happened there? God, he was looking for them. He was searching for them. He knew where they were. So that's an example, just a quick example as far as God is the one who's searching for us. We're the ones that are lost. God is not. So it's all, all of this is under the heading and under the umbrella of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor, unmerited kindness, nothing that we could ever earn to save our souls, no works that we could ever do, no amount of prayers that we can utter that would achieve salvation. Salvation's been achieved by Jesus Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his life, all pertain to Christ and what he's accomplished for us. Go ahead. Hide. Amen. Um, and the, the the blessing, you know, blessing of knowing that—that's how our story began. Began in the garden, knowing that man, God knew man would fail. I mean, that's that's just that's amazing to me to know that God would know all of this beforehand and. He's unraveling this plan. It's unfolding, rather, I want to say. Uh, unfolding in such a way that redemption it will be always provided through Jesus Christ or a sacrifice. In that regard, regarding the picture there is him providing the clothing to clothe um, Adam and Eve and forgiving them of their sin. Uh, so, now, we're looking at verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So even when we were full-blown in our sin... God rescued us, and just remember that word rescued. I'll be talking about that in a little bit. Verse 6, so verse 5 ends, by grace you have been saved. So that's the first time that that's mentioned in this section. And in verse 8, we'll, it'll be mentioned once more. I think if it's mentioned twice, it's, it's important that we know that. Uh, good morning, by the way. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what does this language mean? So there were a couple of messages actually that were on this past week, if you didn't pay attention to. Ligonier had a conference and Steve Lawson was talking about this, this scripture, this precise scripture that we're in. And John MacArthur just recently preached on this a couple of weeks ago. So it's pretty interesting how it ties in to what you know, we're doing here. Uh, in this section, being raised and seated with Christ is a privilege and a blessing. This, in what it seems in the past tense, it, it's, it, is, it is in the past tense, but the Greek indicates that it's an absolute promise. We're seated with Christ. We're identified with Christ. And in this act of God, we 
read here, I want to read it once more, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Not only is that the, the picture of Jesus Christ defeat, we have his defeat of sin and the grave at the cross. We have his being ascended, being raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So this language is repeated. It's in chapter 1, I believe, if I had that right. Yes, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So that would be under the language in the heavenly places that he's speaking of. Another parallel scripture would be Colossians. That's what I really wanted to go to. Back it up a bit. Verse 6 of chapter 2 of Colossians. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according and this is in this moving forward in this section here. It says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And here, here's where this language is repeated, uh, of which we're mirroring in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See, that faith, faith is a gift of God we're going to be talking about in a little bit. And that, that faith is not something that we have in and of ourselves that would save ourselves. It's a gift that God gives to us that we would renounce all of our past, that we would repent of our past, of our sin, and we would trust in Christ. Faith is known as the vehicle of God's salvation of our souls. And verse 13 of chapter 2 here, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive, together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And very briefly, I'll read chapter 3, verse 1 of the same book, Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, there it is, that language again, raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, I know that was a lot of reading, but the, the, the main gist of that I wanted to underline was the fact that we've been raised up with him, we've been seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's eternal life. Eternal life is coming for the believer. And that we've yet to experience eternal life. We're not there yet. We're in this temporal life, uh, the first life that we have on this earth. And the whole idea of this context is our spiritual birth. That's the context behind this. In chapter 2 is our birth. We've been made alive. This new life that we have in Christ. The ultimate gift of that life being born in us is, is the fact that we've been given eternal life. Our, go ahead. Three. You reading my notes? <laughs> you want to read that first, actually? Being that we're there? Uh Philippians 3, 20 and 21, nice and loud. <laughs> it reads, For our citizenship is in heaven, in which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by the exertion of the power that we have, 
Thank you about that. You, you, you wanted to add something to that? You were in the middle of a thought? No, that was basically it. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens. That's the next scripture I was going to turn to. So the raised up with him refers, like I said, it refers to the ascension of Christ after the resurrection. We are identified in that. The believer no longer belongs to the world. Christ lifted, was lifted out of the world and into the heavenly places. So we read Ephesians 1.3. We're blessed with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. It's a new reality. The new reality that we have these blessings in Jesus Christ. It's a huge contrast to chapter 2, 1 through, 1 through 4. We were dead in our sins. We walked in those sins. We followed the course of the world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We used to live in our passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. By nature, we were children of wrath. So it's a big change, a complete change of being reconciled to God. Why? Why, why would that happen? Well, it's the next verse. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice that here it's, these are the first, uh, this is the first of I think three, three times where the words so that appears. So let's read that once more. Verse seven. So that in the coming pla- in the sorry, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So, why is this important? This verse speaks of God's showing, or proving, that beyond, or an exceeding transcendent spiritual wealth. So that would be the riches. He's going to show, it's going to be displayed of the immeasurable riches of his grace, that's unmerited favor, and goodness unto us. We're recipients of that blessing. God's benevolence, God's kindness towards us that we never worked for, we never deserved, we never could work or attain. And what am I getting, well, go ahead. What am I getting at here? Steve touched on this, I think, I think a week ago or two weeks ago, that there's a cost here. It cost our Savior his life, but at, Steve mentioned, I believe, if I don't know the context of what you said it, but you said that the mercy of God, it's not cheap. It's not cheap grace. It's not cheap in the sense of um, it wasn't just glibly done and, um, you know, a tainted sacrifice, right? Jesus, when he, came to the, when he went on the cross as a lamb, a suffering lamb, to die for our sin, to pay for our salvation. It was, an, it was a lamb without spot. Okay? And you think, if you look at the Old Testament, I, I didn't look into this aspect, it just you know, came to my mind now. Anything that would, had any spots on it, on sacrifices as such they would use, it would be rejected and discarded. It wouldn't be used for a, a perfect sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. It had to be put, cast off, put away. This grace has made us rich. And I'm not speaking in monetary terms, I'm speaking in spiritual richness. We've been made rich. What does it say in Matthew 5? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So there's, there's something behind this richness, being rich in mercy because of his great love. There's something about that. Go ahead. I, was gonna, I, I know what I'm going to... Sure. When I looked into that, and I didn't go deep into it, I was under the impression, and I could be corrected on it, I'm willing to listen, um, but I'm in the context of what I'm reading, I would think it would be heaven, it would be eternity. However, um, what about now? You know, that's, that's my other question, what about now? If he's the one that's going to raise us up, he already did, right? We're risen from the dead spiritually. We're made alive, we're seated with him, we're identified with him, so that in the coming ages tells me there's something yet to come. 
I mean, the context is speaking of also an inheritance that we have in Christ. So, I mean, if you want to bounce it back and forth, we, we can, yeah. I would say it's chronological, but you know, as, as far as we're going to be blessed by God in heaven, we're going to be with Him in heaven, and so that in the coming ages, there's there, there's there's an end to this, and yet there isn't an end to this, right? We have eternity, which doesn't end, but there is an end to this life that we're on, so that's understandable. But as far as there's going to be great exaltation when we see Christ our Savior face to face. Go ahead, Errol. Yes, it does. Um, I'm just, I, 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 I don't want to be dogmatic. I just saw that word. I didn't want to. Well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't camp there when I was looking at this. I was more so looking at along the lines of what he's saying, that we don't understand. I, I honestly don't understand how God would even care about myself, and my salvation, and what he's done for me. But I do know that in the future, he's going to display all of that, what we don't see today. I mean, we're going to be looking at the effulgence and the glory of Christ. I mean, that's that's a big, just to wrap my head around that. Right. I would think it would apply, you're right in what you're saying, I would think it would apply to the future, just the ages to come would be, I, this is just me going through the section of scripture here, would be yes in the seasons to come and also in what would be eternity, and I, and I to that culmination. And that's basically what he says right in chapter 1. Right. No. So, this speaks of, all right, so I read that it speaks of God showing or proving or beyond exceeding transcendent spiritual wealth of his unmerited favor, his grace, in goodness unto us in Christ Jesus. Grace has made us rich. We're rich. In the eyes of God and what Christ has done, we are rich. Now, we have that mentality of monetary things usually popping into our head. Rich, we think money. However, I touched on Matthew 5. Let us go to 
Luke 18. And this is, this is the richness of this text. Now, you're not going to read the word rich in this context, but this is on my mind as we're reading this. Think of the Pharisee and think of the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, why would I say or talk anything about being rich? Well, on the surface, the tax collector, they're known to be rich. They're known to collect all the taxes. You have examples in the Word of God. Matthew himself was a tax collector. And Zacchaeus is one who says want to repay back everything that he pretty much stole. And it's the attitude of the heart that's poor in spirit that God says, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to save you out of that. And as the Pharisee who sees what people are and doesn't doesn't see their heart and God is the one who's looking at the heart of who we are that's what I wanted to to grab from that context so applying it to this in 2nd Corinthians 8 it says I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine and this is in this context I, I'm transitioning very quickly here in this context Paul's telling the church in Corinth to help the Macedonian believers out. So, verse 9 says, For you know, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, that context there is, again, speaking of helping the Macedonian believers, but Paul's trying to draw something out of the Corinthians to say that you know what the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ is. He was rich. He came from heaven that we might be saved. He came to this earth, he became poor, so that we might, through his poverty, become rich. Now, again, you're thinking, you might, initially you think, those that are watching, you might be thinking initially, this is, he just became poor, and he became you know, wealthy, or what does that mean? God is rich in every aspect of all of his attributes. He's rich, there's no words I can put to it, no words that you can put to it that would fully explain the fact that we are even worthy of salvation we're not and he saved us his grace is rich his mercy is rich everything about him any questions about there anything you want to add to that okay Back to our text. So he might show, display, no measure to immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It's going to sound redundant when we go through these verses because... We know that God is the one who's moving in salvation. He's the one moving towards us, as we talked about earlier, about him searching for Adam and Eve. The Son of Man has come to seek and save those that recognize themselves as lost, Jesus says. So, grace is um, something that we, really, I, I really firmly don't think I can grasp it all, to, to even understand it. I mean, I understand it intellectually. You get it. Uh, in your heart, you might get it, but fully grasp the fact that God cares about us to that point that he would send his son to die. Because without that, without that saving work of Jesus Christ, 
we're hope we're hopeless and it's it's a great blessing that brings us to rejoice in what he's done for us and it, it should drive us to evangelism to drive us to speak of the hope that God has given to us of eternity go ahead And I think of the, I'm sorry, yeah, I was thinking, as you were talking, it's, what is that, the picture of our sin? Our sin is so a blight, it's, it's black, it's dark darkness to God, and to put all of his wrath on Christ, that we deserve, frankly, and he's our substitute as well, and God. No. <laughs> You got that. <laughs> no, you can you can go. You can add, yeah. With, with right, I I wholeheartedly agree, and I, well, no, 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 it's not that it does drive it in, in such a way that you know we appreciate our salvation all the more, we appreciate that we will be with God in heaven, we'll be with our Savior in heaven, and I mean this is really what this is pointing to, um, it's pointing to unity in the church, which will be coming up soon, but in this aspect juxtaposed against that eternity in hell is a is death is a separation 
And it's a spiritual, in that sense, it's a spiritual final separation without God. And that's no more, no more, I hate to use this word, but chances. No more chances, no more, no more opportunities, we'll say it that way. <laughs> no more opportunities to ever come to the knowledge of the truth and be transformed. And, you know, there's a great chasm there. We can't. Well, they're both combined in that sense. So that's 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 combined. Without Christ, without you're all alone. You know that's good. Repent, believe the good news. Jesus Christ is the one who came and died and saved us from our sin, and that's the that's the hope that we have that we will one day too rise from the dead ourselves, physically, new bodies in Him in, in glory. Um, we're funny, we're talking about this. Titus three four through seven underlines this whole section here. It's a new reality that's within the believer. In fact. See, I, I tend to put my scripture all in, in the notes, but whenever I see you know what? Somebody read that chapter verses one through three, and then I'll pick it up in verse four. Just read three, one through three, anybody. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Another transition section of scripture where, but when, but when the kindness when the goodness, the loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, He saved us because of we did anything we did in our own righteousness. Um, I believe it's Isaiah that speaks of our righteousness as as good as filthy rags, our own righteousness that we have. It's it's not doesn't mean anything to God, but it's according to Christ's work in our hearts. And good works come after salvation, and we're we're going to touch on that uh, in a little bit. This is that that scripture actually does like a it's a dual um, I'm making a dual point in that in that regard speaking speaking of uh, what what we were and what we become and what we're going to be about and even the word the fact that he uh, poured out the Holy Spirit in our heart in our life we've been filled we're controlled filled by the Holy Spirit it's an evidence of a changed life and what does the context say in Ephesians. Paul heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints, fruits of the Spirit. So the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, ascension, and glorification of Jesus Christ catapults or encapsulates our spiritually dead souls in a brand new spiritual life, a brand new life, a new birth. And this is all under God's grace. Our salvation is so great that we know that we're unworthy. 
Looking at Romans 5, 8 from last time, we began and only began to understand that when we were his enemies, he for us. And his amazing grace is that something that he displayed when he gave us, he gave his one and only son, John three sixteen, to die for our ransom. This grace that we have in Christ is undeserved. It's not earned or worked for, as we will see in the next few verses. So verses 9 and 10 speak to that, uh, why we don't boast in our salvation and what we did. We didn't do anything. God has worked in our hearts so that we would do something for the Lord after we've been saved. Now, another supporting text, which uh, I might have time for. Yeah, let's look at Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, I had it right here, verse 15, this is a section of scripture, we're justified by faith, not by works of the law, again this salvation that we have is by faith, faith we know in Romans says comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. It says here in Galatians 2.15, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we, all, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if we, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down and prove myself to be a transgressor, for through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I mean, this that whole section of Scripture is another supporting text of what we're looking at here in Ephesians. It's all about Christ. There's no other explanation for the fact that if we, if we don't have Christ, if we don't have him fully defeating sin, death, um, being victorious over Satan, if we don't have any of that taking place, we have the law to depend on as proselytes. We have, we're encapsulated into the law. We have to do what, what they have to do. We have a sacrifice every year and to go before the priest, to do all of these works to try to uh, always point into a shadow of what would, ever, what would come. And even then, it's just a shadow. We wouldn't know what the mystery is. The mystery is Jesus Christ. Um. So another good section of Scripture, and we're justified by faith. It's faith, believing God. Believing God is simply what it means. Now, there are sections of Scripture I did take apart from the New Testament. Faith is simply believing in God, believing in what Jesus accomplished to pay our debt of sin. God worked this in us when we believed. We heard the gospel of our salvation. That's in chapter 1, verse 13 of Ephesians. I mentioned Romans 10:17 that faith is a hearing principle. We hear the message, we believe. Now, it can't be just heard and believed and then there's there's fruit to what we believe and what we say. We can say it in our heart if it's not truly meant. God knows our heart where we stand before God. He knows what follows salvation. Good works follow salvation. They're not achieving salvation, they follow salvation. Um I'm going to skip over some of this because there, there's sections of Scripture if you want to look at this later. Acts 13, 34, um, looking at verse 39. Basically, the law of Moses doesn't set us free. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been saved by grace. Uh, another section to look at is Acts 15, 6 through 11. Peter's before the Jerusalem Council mentions that the fact that the salvation of the Gentiles, they're hearing and they're believing, they're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The same way that the Jews, uh, the same way that Gentiles are saved, the same way that Jews are saved, all, doesn't matter who they are, we're saved by grace. There's no other way. It's only through Christ. 
Um, Romans 6 <clears throat> speaks of the gift of salvation, not of works. So we can look at Romans 6. That's another section to look at that speaks of that change that takes place. Skipping down, I wanted to look at, I think it's verse 9. Not of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is not of works. It is not to our credit, neither are we deserving of praise for it. Boasting is excluded and only in Christ. Now, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 1, I skipped those scriptures because I, they're extensive and I, I would... You know, they're, they're good scriptures to read, but I wanted to get to this point. And we could really, you could really back up all the way, but let's look at verse 21 and following. For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God, another, another transition here. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's a touch on Jeremiah 9.24, which I'll read quickly. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, not let the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 9.24 is what's being quoted there, and we're not boasting about anything that we've done. I mean, in this section in 1 Corinthians, he chose those that were weak in the world, those that were foolish in the world. Think about Paul, working against the church, turned them around for good. He didn't choose anybody that were powerful. What did he use for the, his first, the men that he called? They were fishermen. They were tax collectors, people that were scorned at. Think of the early part when Christ's birth was announced. Who did he use first? The shepherds to announce the birth, the birth of Jesus Christ. He used the lowly people in this is, this, is the, this is the picture that God's putting in Scripture. He's calling the people that you would think on the surface are just, who are they? And, and, and rightly so, who are we? We're just servants. We're just mere peasants of God. It just it 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 just to re reiterate that. So what is our response if there's no boasting? Our response is good works. That's our response. Our response is what are we what are we doing for God? What are, what are we doing as Christians? What are we doing as those we've been saved? We're giving back to what the Lord has done for us. We can never repay. Our whole lives can never repay what He's done for us. But we're grateful recipients of that grace. What does that stir us on to? Good works. His workmanship, 
The word workmanship in verse 10 there is, of chapter 2 of Ephesians, is a masterpiece. God's working on us to sanctify us, to make us his, his we're his bride, right? We need to be a, a bride that's you know, spotless before him. Hebrews 10 speaks about to stir one another to love and good deeds. John 15, to abide in Christ. I'm using these sections of scripture as references. Um, we're living in the vine, keeping his commandments. We're, um, we know that in Philippians 2, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We know that good works come after our salvation. They are not for salvation. I said that earlier. These works are prepared for, by God beforehand. So God ordained this for us to do. It's been ordained by God for us to walk in good works, to evangelize, to bring the gospel to people that need to hear it. Everybody needs to hear it. Um, God ordained that we would, he would have followers of Jesus that would carry out the ministry after Jesus ascended to the Father. I mean, Jesus spoke about that uh, in the high priestly prayer, that we be doing more things than what he did on earth, not in, in terms of what he did was great. We know it was. We would be doing more about it. Um, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. If you want to turn there. Here's some encouragement. Indeed, all who desire to live, this is verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing, that, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And here's the verse, that the man of God might be competent, equipped for every good work. Now what, what allows us to go out and do these good works? We're equipped. We're armored with the scripture. We have it as our sword. And, uh, of course, Ephesians chapter 6 culminates in the armor. We're talking about the armor of God there when we get there. But this equips us for all the fiery darts of Satan. It equips us to fight the good fight of faith. And this is where we are to be. We're to be trained in righteousness. Where all of this is all a preparation to get out there and to share the message. Uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14 Somebody wants to read that. I know I've been reading a lot, but I like to share it around a little bit. Titus 2, 11 through 14. Zealous for good works. That's the final product of saving faith, producing in good works. Another section to refer to would be, I'm closing here, would, would be to look in James. James talks about that. Faith without works is dead. Living, objective faith. 1 Corinthians 13 comes to mind. How we're to love one another. Hebrews 13, we're told to be, be doing good. And in 1 John 3.16, we're characterized by doing good. Those are scriptures to look at. Running out of time here. Anything else? Anyone wants to make a final point before we close? Yeah. 
Amen. 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 On that note, Brother Carl, would you close in prayer, please? That ends the Bible study. Uh, brother at church, he prayed, but it did not pick up well on the mic, so I don't have that for you. Um, thank you for listening to this lesson. I appreciate it. And um, until next time, God bless you. And now, here is How Deep the Father's Love for us by Celtic worship.
To make a wretch.